Weekly Signals, every Tuesday morning from 8 to 9 a.m. Join me, Mike Casper, and Nathan Callahan for the best in reality-based radio. That's Weekly Signals. Check out the website at weeklysignals.com. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI at 88.9 FM in Irvine and online at KUCI.org. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity and From Victim to Victor, a step-by-step guide for ending the nightmare of identity theft. She sits as an advisor to the State of California Office of Privacy Protection, and she's a sheriff reserve here in Orange County. She's testified many times in Congress and the California legislature on privacy and identity theft issues, and you may have seen her on TV on Dateline, 48 Hours, NBC, ABC, CNN, O'Reilly, Geraldo, Montel, a lot of other shows. And uh, she did her own 90-minute PBS special last year called Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. Hi there, Lloyd. We have a great guest tonight. I just finished reading the complete book of Dirty Little Secrets, Money-Saving Strategies the Credit Bureaus Won't Tell You by Jason Rich. And after I read this, I said, oh, we have to get Jason on our show to share some great information with our audience. Let me tell you a little bit about Jason. He is the author of more than 39 books, With over 20 years of journalism experience, he's also a frequent contributor to numerous major daily newspapers, magazines, and popular websites. He has also, since 1985, he's done literally thousands of interviews with well-known celebrities from television, motion pictures, and the recording industry. And as an author and journalist, Jason currently writes about travel, entertainment, career issues, personal finance, and much more. You can even learn more about him at Jason, that's J-A-S-O-N-R-I-C-H.com. And of course, at KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy, where we have his bio, and you can link to his website. So thank you, Jason. We sure appreciate your coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Well, I enjoyed this book, and you know, as an expert myself on identity theft and credit bureaus, I thought it was really well written and very, I liked the interviews with some of the experts. It was terrific. So why did you write the complete book of Dirty Little Secrets? Well, it all started a couple of years ago. Um, I've done a, you know, a lot of writing about a bunch of different topics, and Entrepreneur Press, which publishes Entrepreneur Magazine, asked me to do a series of pocket guides covering various areas of personal finance. So we picked six different topics, everything from getting a mortgage to buying a, a used or new car um, to getting a razor promotion. And one of the topics I I wrote a very short book about was um, understanding the credit bureaus and credit scores. And, you know, it was not a comprehensive book at all. It was very short, designed to be read very quickly. And the response to that book out of the series was tremendous. And, you know, we realized that, you know, because it was such a short book, we left out a lot of really important content. And about the same time, the economy started changing. And, you know, the, the importance of credit scores and having a good credit rating, you know, became that much more important. So we decided to take all the information from the original book and really um, expound upon it and include incorporated into this new book, which is really more comprehensive, and it walks someone through the entire credit rating, credit score, credit report process. So, um, you know, it'll help you understand this very complex issue, and once you understand it, it becomes very easy to protect your credit rating and manage your credit rating and just be more responsible as a consumer. Oh, yeah, and it's so important now. I, I was walking with a friend this morning who's a mortgage broker, and she told me that she cannot believe how hard it is, even someone with perfect credit right now, to get a new mortgage. And and we're talking about a very affluent area of Southern California. So 
Obviously, this is very important. We've got students on campus. We've got business people driving by here from Newport Beach and Irvine. This is a huge issue for you personally or for your business or as a student. Why don't you explain to my audience exactly why a strong credit rating is so important in our society? Well, basically, you know, your credit rating is, you know, is also called a credit history, and it's basically your relationship with your creditors and lenders summarized, and it's your complete credit history. So, you know, when someone pulls your credit rating or credit reports, um, they're able to determine whether or not you've been paying your bills on time over the last seven years. So it's easy for them to see if you're a good consumer, if you're a responsible consumer, if you've handled your credit cards well, if you've paid your mortgage on time, if you've been responsible, you know, with a car loan or with your student loans. Every piece of information pertaining to your creditors and lenders is put on your credit report. You know, so it becomes really important that the information on that report is both accurate and positive. Um, and that becomes your responsibility as the consumer to really protect your credit, understand how the process works, and then take an active role in managing your credit and protecting it. Yeah, you know, we know that the Public Interest Research Group, with the, which is a nonprofit organization for consumers, did a study and found that on these credit reports, 70% of them have errors. Yeah. And and 30% are enough to keep you from getting a job or getting a house or getting an apartment or all these things. So, yeah, I mean, this actually affects every part of your life. Let's talk about what's in credit reports. It, it just surprises me so many times when I'm meeting with clients, and I also do a lot of divorce mediation, and one of the most important things is that people, when they're going through a dissolution process and it's a collaborative process, that they understand how to unravel their their jointly owned uh, credit, uh, credit cards and credit history and how to move on and, and protect that. And a lot of them, and I'm talking about a lot of business people, they don't even understand how to read those credit reports or what sections are what. So let's talk right now about the different sections of the credit report and what you look for on each of those sections. Okay. Um, basically, when you request a copy of your credit report from any of the credit reporting agencies or credit bureaus, as they're more commonly known, um, what you're going to get is uh, you know, either a printed document or you're going to be able to see this data on the screen. And it's going to be broken up into sections. The first section is you know, the personal information section, and that contains your name, address, date of birth, your social security number, and information about your employment history. Um, I might want to point out that the sections may look different depending on how you acquire your credit report, but all of the information will be will be the same. And, and they also need to know that, like the three credit bureaus, which are Experian, Equifax, and TransUnion, that their their formats are different. So, yes. so the formats that's an, are very different. And yeah. also, if you you can request a three in one credit report, which means you're going to get data from all three credit bureaus on one report. And if you do that, the, the format's going to be you know even more different. Um, you know, but you just want to understand what the pieces of information are. And let's just stop one second because people need to know, and I know you know this, Jason, but I just want to bring it up now. If they're listening and they're worried about their credit, you can get a free credit report once a year from each of the major credit bureaus, which are Experian and, and um, TransUnion and Equifax. You go to annualcreditreport.com, not freecreditreport.com, which really isn't free, but annual, A-N-N-U-A-L, creditreport.com. Just wanted to do that so people know they can get that at no charge. Exactly. Um, that agency, that it's a combination of of a government agency and the three credit bureaus that run annualcreditreport.com. Right. And, you know, it's very important that, you know, as you mentioned, it's not freecreditreport.com. That that and all of the other websites that sound like that are really credit, are companies that are will charge you for a service. Um, and it could be $30, 40 or $50 a month to monitor your credit rating, and you don't need that. If you just want a free copy of your credit report, it's annualcreditreport.com. Great. Okay, so we, we talked about the credit header information, and it also includes, by the way, your spouse's name. Yeah. And it'll also include your employer and former employer. So just f- speaking from an identity theft advocate, just people should realize 
don't skip over looking at that because you might see that you have a spouse that you really don't have who's applied for credit jointly with you. So if, if you're not married and it says that your wife is Mary or John or whomever, that is a, is a red flag there that maybe there's a problem or if there's an address that you don't recognize. Okay, so we did the first section, which is the credit header information. Yes. Um, also, in, in terms of that personal information, it'll often list your name in several different ways, and you want to make sure that those are spelled correctly and that, you know, if, the, if you have a middle name, that it's correct um, and that it, it's not some other variation of your name that isn't you. Um, that's also very important. Right, and, and there's a lot of, besides identity theft, there's a lot of mixed files. So let's say there's a John Smith. John Smith is a very common name, or, or maybe even Jason Rich, you know, that's that's pretty common. So if you have a name that might be mixed with someone else, you really have to take extra care in looking because sometimes the wrong information is, you know, printing on your report, which it shouldn't be. Exactly. Um, the next section of the credit report is um, the public record section, and that's going to list um, any uh, tax liens you've had, any lawsuits, any judgments, bankruptcy, um, you know, any kind of public records. Um, and you know, this w- c- will impact your cr- your credit rating in many different ways. And the problem with with, with this section is many of the inform- parts of information on this section will stay on your report for ten years, not seven years. Right. So if you declare bankruptcy, or if there's some type of tax lien against you or your property, um, or if you've been involved in a lawsuit, um, you know, th- th- that will be held against you for 10 years, not seven. Um, so it's, you know, anything you can do to avoid any kind of legal situation, you, you know, to keep that stuff off your credit report, that's going to help you tremendously. The next section of your credit report involves the credit information. And this is every single one of your creditors and lenders is going to be, are going to be listed here one at a time. Um, and these are called credit lines. So every credit card, every loan, every mortgage, information about student loans, car loans, um, all of that stuff is going to be listed. Also, any items or any bills that have you never paid that went to a collection agency are also going to appear in this section. And um, as we'll talk about, I'm sure, in a little while, anytime an account goes to collections, whether it's a cell phone bill you didn't want to pay or a doctor's bill you didn't want to pay, if that bill goes to a collection agency, your credit rating is going to take a major hit. And once that happens, it's very difficult to fix that situation. You can pay off the bill, but that negative information that that creditor or lender turns you over to a collection agency is, you know, is going to remain on there for the seven years, and that's going to hurt you. Um, so you want to be very careful about that. After the, another section of your credit report is um, requests from others um, for your credit history, to view your credit history. So every time you apply for a new loan or a new credit card, for example, there's going to be an inquiry to your credit report, um, and that's going to be listed. So anyone who gains access to your credit report for any reason, it's going to be listed, and information about them is going to be listed. Now, there's, there's different types of inquiries. There's a hard inquiry, which means you applied for a credit report or for a mortgage or for some type of loan, and you initiated the process. Um, so that's going to show up on your credit report. If you have a bunch of those in a short period of time, your credit score is going to take a hit. Um, however, if you're applying for a mortgage um, and you're shopping around you know, to a bunch of different mortgage brokers, you're allowed to have multiple mortgage companies access your credit report over a 30 or 60-day period, depending on the uh, credit reporting agency, and it only will count as one inquiry. And that's very important. So if you're shopping around for a mortgage and you go to 10 different companies and all 10 run, you know, pull your credit report, it, you're, it's not going to impact your credit negatively. Um, all 10 of those companies will show up as inquiries on your credit report, but it will have no impact, no direct impact, I should say. And that also applies for when you're applying for a car loan. Um, You could shop around to all the car dealers you want, and each one of them, if they pull a credit report, it will show up, but it'll only count as one inquiry. Now, this has a a positive and a negative side. The negative side is, if you're going to 10 car dealerships, for example, because um, for whatever reason you didn't get approved for the loan for the first nine, or you've been shopping around to you know, six different Honda dealers or whatever, when you go to the next car dealer, 
when they pull your credit report, they're going to know every place you've been. Um, you know, so they're going to know you've been turned down for credit at the other car dealers or you know, that for some reason you did not purchase a car from all those other dealers. And so from a negotiation standpoint in terms of the car price, that can impact you, you know, in, in some ways. Either that or you just tell them, I'm shopping around, and yeah, I've gone to all these places, and I'm looking for the best price. So, exactly. you know, just make it work for you. Exactly, but you know, if your you know credit score is a little shaky, yeah. they're going to know. Right, <laughs> um, right, right. You know, so you 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 know you want to be careful. You do not want to have lots and lots of inquiries on your credit report if you can control that. And as a general rule, if you're applying for you know a credit card, for example, apply for one credit card every three to six months. Don't apply for three credit cards, a car loan, a mortgage, all in the same you know thirty, sixty, or ninety day period, because that's really going to hurt your credit score. Even if you get approved for those loans or approved for those credit cards, um, your credit score will take a hit because you're asking for way too much credit in a short period of time. Right, right. So there's two inquiry sections. One you were talking about, which is the hard pull and which a company, and it'll say right on your credit report, these companies got your credit report for the purpose of issuing you credit. So that's what you want to look for. There is another inquiry section that you were talking about with soft pulls and pre-approved offers. So why don't you explain that section because they have to look very carefully and don't confuse the two. Exactly. Um, a soft inquiry is when a credit card company or a company does market research and they, they pull your credit report without your knowledge or permission in order to learn about you as a consumer. And as they learn about you, they may decide to, on their own initiative, to send you a credit card offer. So when you get all that junk mail you know, in the mail saying, you've been a pre-approved for this credit card offer or you've been pre-approved for this loan or whatever, that's a company that has probably done a soft inquiry on your credit report and, um, you, know, they, you know, without your knowledge and they are qualifying you as a consumer. Uh, a softer inquiry could also happen if you try and rent a car these days um, or if you try and get insurance. The car, the car rental companies or the insurance companies, without your knowledge, will pull. It will often pull your credit report to see if you're, you know, a, a good candidate to rent the car or to give insurance to. Um, some employers are also, will, you know, will pull your credit report without your knowledge. Well, they um, they're not no supposed landlords. to, but th- yeah, but that's kind of illegal. For it's illegal for an employer to pull your credit report without your affirmative consent. Exactly, so. but the rental car companies. Um, and insurance companies, they they can and they do. Yeah. Um, and if your credit rating is bad and you try and use a debit card to rent a car these days, they will turn you down at the counter and will not give you the car. Right. So what happens with a lot of these soft pulls is that they they a lot of companies will want to send you a pre-approved offer, and they buy they buy from the credit bureaus a whole list of people that meet a certain uh, set of qualifications. So if you want to get off that list so that they don't get information about you and don't offer you pre-approved credit at your door that could be dangerous for identity thieves, you can call 888-5-OPT-OUT, 888-5-OPT-OUT, and you can ask to be removed from those pre-approved offers and from those soft pills that Jason is talking about, and then they can't get that information unless you allow it. So I I took my name off permanently. When they send you something in the mail, you know, do you really want to do this? You can you can do that. And if you want to off if you want to go online and find a good offer, you can find your own good offer. You don't need these pre-approved offers coming to your door at all. Definitely. Even though those don't really affect your credit score. And it's important to point out that when you get those you know, pre-approved offers, there you, you can almost always shop around and find a much better deal. Exactly. Um, you know what you're being promoted is uh, you know it's an advertisement, and you know the headline is often very misleading in terms of when they say you know low interest or zero percent interest or whatever. If you actually read the fine print. Um, it turns out to be not such a good deal. And something else you mentioned, you know, um, the Equifax, Experian, the TransUnion, the credit bureaus, they are all for-profit companies, and right. they are very, very profitable because they are selling, they collect consumer data about every consumer, which they repackage and resell in many, many different ways to uh, other you know, creditors, to lenders, to other agencies, and they also sell it back to you as the consumer in the form of various products. Right. Um, you know, so, you know, the credit bureaus are, a, 
data collection agency that you know they they are paid by many different organizations to collect and process this information. They're not your friend, and they're not there to help you as the consumer. Right, you're not really their customer. You are when you buy their credit monitoring, but you're really not their customer. They make their money from all the creditors that buy the information to see if they should offer you credit. Exactly. Yeah. Let's let's finish with the that that inquiry section that doesn't affect your credit score. We talked about it could be those pre-approved offers. That could be those companies that are buying bulk information about your credit. Also, it can be your own creditors that just want to look and see, take a take a peek and see if you're having problems because if you are, they may want to just cancel you. Yes, that's become a huge problem, especially now with the bad economy. Um, people with credit cards especially are finding that their credit limits are randomly being cut or their accounts are being closed. Yes. And, you know, they're not being told or they're, you know, they're receiving junk mail from their credit card company, which is, well, it's not really junk mail. It's disguised as junk mail. And, you know, so they don't open it. You often, you know, just toss these things because you think it's, you know, some kind of random offer. But what, you know, what was inside was a letter setting, saying, oh, by the way, your interest rate just went from 8% to 29%. We cut your credit limit, you know, in half. Um, or in some cases, we closed your account. I actually had two Discover cards, which I hadn't used in I think, almost, like, almost a year. They were just sitting in my wallet dormant. And I went to go use one of them randomly. And it turned out, they without telling me and without sending a letter, they just closed the accounts. And, and that's a really important point, Jason, that if, the, if your credit report says that If you close an account yourself, it'll say closed by consumer request, and that doesn't hurt your credit. But if you have an account that says closed by the company, by the creditor, that actually does do a ding. So if you're not using a credit card, you should do one of two things. Either close it yourself if you never want to use it, or use it every few months, and it actually boosts your credit because if you use it and pay it off, it keeps you in good standing, especially if it's been a card, let's say, that you've owned for five, eight, ten years. That's a good credit history. So you're better off having at least three credit cards and just using them intermittently and not using the entire credit line. Exactly. Also, in the book, in my book, Dirty Little Secrets, I mentioned that if you have you know a bunch of accounts in good standing, if you're not using them, I recommend not closing them because you know, all the, with all the credit experts I talk to, um, when you close one of those accounts, it readjust your credit utilization level, which is the percentage of overall credit available to you that you're actually using. So if you give up credit that you're not using, that credit utilization changes and your credit score will take a hit. Right. And especially not to to cancel something that you've had for like 10 years. Exactly. So you're better off, you know, if you have credit cards that you don't use, just make one small purchase every couple months and, you know, pay it off right away and then just put it back in your wallet or back in the drawer and forget about the account for another couple months. Right. Um, you know, so you, you maintain that high credit, you know, the, the really good scores with the cre- in terms of credit utilization. And you also get rewarded for having positive long-term relationships with your creditors and lenders. Exactly. So that will actually help your credit score. Exactly. I just want to introduce you again, Jason. We are speaking with Jason Rich, who is the author of this book I have sitting right in front of me. Great book. It's called The Complete Book of Dirty Little Secrets, Money-Saving Strategies the Credit Bureaus Won't Tell You. And Jason has a a long experience of, of writing and journalism and 39 books, and we're so thrilled that you're joining us. So what we're talking about now is the actual credit reports, which are so important to our entire reputation, our life, our ability to get a job, to get a house, to get an apartment, to get credit cards, all these important things. We've talked about the various sections of the credit report. Let's get back to the inquiry section. That's the soft polls. And I don't know if you know this, Jason, but as a identity theft, you know, advocate helping people who are. Uh, victims of identity theft, this is a real big thing lately that I don't know if you really came across, but what you will see on the soft polls also, besides your own creditors who want to take a peek and make sure you're how you're doing and can you pay your bills, whether they want to cancel you or not, if someone opened a business credit card in your name, all right, and you don't even own a business, but they did that to to get credit and your good credit, they you won't see, you won't see an account on there. Mm-hmm. 
you won't know it's there. Where you're going to see it is one. You're in two places. One is in the initial inquiry section, meaning that they got your credit report, maybe deciding if they wanted to issue credit to you as the business owner, which you're really not even the business owner. And then if, if it's not there, which it may not be, they will do account reviews. So if you see, for example, a chase every month, there is a chase overview, a soft pull, and you think, I wonder why they're doing that. I don't, I don't have a chase card, and I, don't, and I haven't even gotten any pre-approved offers. That might be a red flag that somebody has opened a business account in your name, and they don't want you to know about it. They want to use up as much credit as possible until it gets to collections, and you may not find out about it. If you're not looking with, you know, scrutinizing your credit report, you may not find out about it. I've had probably in the last two years, I probably had um, about eight or nine victims of business identity theft, Jason, and that's how we find it. They don't even know where to look for it. So it's really important. And, and, and on a related note, um, in, in my book, I interviewed um, Todd David, who's the CEO oh. and founder of LifeLock. Oh, God. And he's a great guy. But one of the things <laughs> he pointed out was what people don't realize is that um, if, uh, people are doing identity theft on children and infants. Um, so it's a good idea when you, at the same time as an adult, you pull your own credit report, pull a credit report for your child as well. Because, you know, if, you know it's very possible that, you know, your six-year-old has been a victim of identity theft and someone is, you know, lying about their age and is applying for credit and loans in their name. And if you don't check it, chances are they're not going to realize that this has happened for, you know, 10, 15 years when they turn 18 and they try and get a car loan on their own or they apply for a student loan or their very first credit card and they realize that, you know, they've been a victim of identity theft. Right. And, and you're going to have a little bit of a problem uh, with this because of the fact that whoever that fraudster is, they've probably been getting a credit report, I mean, getting credit at an alternate address. So I tell people who I have also dealt personally with people who've had children who have been victims of identity theft, they find out when they go to co-sign a loan to get a car, their first car when they're 16, or they try and get a job. So yeah, you may not have a credit report on there, so you can actually do this. This is the best way to protect your children, and this is what I suggest. You write to the credit bureaus, you tell them that you have a child that you're worried about perhaps becoming a victim of identity theft, and maybe there's you've gotten some kind of a uh, security breach notice from your bank or something, and maybe you've had an account for your for your little child, a college account, in their social security number. You can ask that a credit freeze be put on your child's credit report and get it get an actual password and not relieve that password until that child reaches the age of 16 or whatever when they want to get a job or get a car. So that's a way to really lock it up. But if your child is the victim of identity theft, there will be a credit report on that child, but you're still going to have to take the extra effort to write to the credit bureaus. And I don't think that LifeLock is the answer for child identity theft. I think the answer is getting a security freeze, which is $10 for each of the credit bureaus. Definitely. That's a great idea. Um, and one you know, tip off that your, your child may be a victim of an identity theft is if your child starts getting mail to your address with credit card offers or very specialized, you know, um, offers that there's no way, you know, an infant would be interested in. I know, um, but but you have to be careful on that one because, for example, my kids, I started college accounts when they were little, and so I used to get all sorts of uh, pre-approved offers and things for my kids, and I had to write to them because they were, I did establish college accounts in their social security number, which you can do now, um, you know, under the IRS code. So that's, you know, you have to be careful. Don't think that, don't freak out at least. You know, check it out, but that isn't necessarily the case if you've started a college account for your kids. Definitely. Okay, so we've talked about, let's see, we talked about the inquiry sections. Have we gotten everything? Um, I think we have, right? Of all yeah. the, okay. So let's, let's talk now about the secrecy of these credit scores. You know, this is the thing that I think there's been a big brouhaha for people because they they haven't really understood how the FICO score, which was Fair Isaac, had this little secret calculation. Now we're finding that the credit bureaus themselves are creating their own 
uh, credit scores, which are each unique, whether you have a TransUnion score or an Equifax score or an experience score or your FICO score. So let's talk about the secrecy. Explain what those are all about, those scores. Okay. Basically, a credit score, um, whether it's your FICO score or whatever, is um, a, a formula that that either the credit bureaus or Fair Isaac has created. They keep it a secret formula. Um, and what it does is it looks at the information from your credit report and gives everything of some type of value and then weighs those values and comes up with some kind of score. It, in some cases, it's a three-digit three number um, within a specific range, and that range could be between 300 and 850. Um, in some cases, but it might be between 250 and 900, because every one of the credit score, different types of credit scores, has a different range and is calculated slightly differently. And this is where a lot of people get confused because they think they have one master credit score, and that's not the case at all. Every consumer has many different credit scores, which are calculated totally differently. And if you actually start pulling these scores at exactly the same time, you may find a huge discrepancy in the scores because they were calculated differently or took or utilized different data. So if you um, simultaneously pull your three credit reports and and purchase the credit scores, because when you get your free credit report, it does not come with any type of credit score. So if you got you paid for your credit score from each of the three credit bureaus and contacted Fair Isaac Company at myfico.com to get their credit score, there's a really strong chance that you're going to get four different credit scores that are, you know, unless you know what those scores mean and how they fit into their, the specific rating system of that, uh, that score um, is absolutely meaningless. Um, you know, because a 600 score on one rating system could be an excellent credit rating, and on another another credit rating system could be a really bad score. So the first thing you want to do is, when you're given a credit score, is find out who created the score and what range, where you fall in the, the, that credit scoring system's range. So you want to know if you you know you want to look at the range and find out if you have poor credit, average credit above average credit or excellent credit and obviously you want to go for excellent credit um, you know and figure out you know so it's not the three digit number that you're given as your credit score is not as important um, as a number as it is in terms of an indicator of where you fall in that overall credit rating um, if you have average or below credit, poor credit, below average credit, or even average credit, you're, especially in this economy, you're going to find it very difficult to get approved for mortgages, for car loans, um, and even for credit cards these days. And if you do get approved, you're going to pay much higher interest rates and significantly higher fees in most cases. So it's your job to not only pull your credit report and obtain a credit score, but also figure out what that credit score means in terms of how it was created, who created it, and where you fall in their rating system. And then figure out, you know, based on that, if you have, you know, where you fall, if you're poor credit, average credit, above average credit, or excellent credit. So it's this confusing process that, again, is very profitable for these companies. To make things even more confusing, each one of the credit reporting agencies, as well as Fair Isaacs, will custom calculate credit scores for specific um, lenders and um, creditors. So, if, um, like, say, um, a car dealership, uh, specific, you know, like Ford Motors, for example, or Ford Financing, um, they might call. Fair Isaac and say, we need a special calculation that pulls someone's credit information and ha- puts a very specific emphasis on their relationship with, with past car loans, have, you know, and puts a strong emphasis on did they pay all their car loans on time, and it may ignore information about department store credit or other pieces of information, where a mortgage company may want to have a custom score created, um, a, a, a custom scoring model created um, that puts a heavy emphasis on um, you know your past mortgage history, you know so you could wind up with an infinite number of credit scores from all of these different companies. And again, it comes down to who's who's creating the cre- the credit score, how it was created, and what it and what it means, what the score actually translates to. And it's so unfair to consumers because there's really no transparency. We don't always know 
how they're really calculated. You know, sometimes some of these court cases try and even get that out and they say, oh, well, that's patented information, you know? And it's really, I think, very unfair to consumers because if you don't understand something, you can't fix it. However, there are some things that we all know, or maybe not we all know, but you and I know, and you talk about in your book, there are some ways that people can improve their credit scores. So let's give them some ideas of what they can do to improve their scores before they go and apply for a loan or a job or a student loan. Um, Before we do that, I just want to point out what, um, you know, based on what the information has about those, you know, secret formulas, they have kind of hinted at what is included in the formula. Right. So if you understand that, you're, you're off to a good start. So what they take into account when calculating your credit score, first of all, it's only information from your credit report. Your, so the, the amount of money in your savings account, for example, um, how much money you actually earn in your job, whether or not you're unemployed, any of that information is irrelevant. It's only specific data that's printed on your credit report that's taken into account. Right. And what they look at is your payment history, whether or not you've been paying your bills on time. And not only have you been paying on time, but, um, you know, how many times you've been late in the last, you know, 12 months or up up to seven years, because all of that is tracked. They also look at the amounts of money you owe to each lender, the length of your credit history with each of your creditors and lenders, the number of new credit items or new trade lines that have appeared over the last 30 to 60 or 90 days. They take a really close look at the type of credit you have and how much of it you're utilizing. So, you know, they want to know if you have, you know, one credit card or five credit cards, if you have one mortgage or three mortgages, and all of that is weighted differently. Um, They also, as I said, they look at the percentage of your credit you're using, and that is very important. Because if you have, say, a credit, a, a, a credit limit on your credit card of $1,000 and you utilize $900 of that and you have a steady balance that you maintain because you know, you're only paying your minimum payment, so your average balance is at, you know, maintains it around $900, that means you're using up almost your entire credit, available credit on that credit card, and that's actually going to hurt you. What the credit, in terms of these credit scoring systems, what they're looking for is less than 35% of your credit utilization. So if, if you're using less than 35% of your available credit um, overall and with each specific account, that's going to help you a lot. If you're using more than 35%, your credit score is going to start to nosedive, um, depending on how much of that credit utilization you have. If, you're, if it looks like you have five credit cards and you're almost maxed out on your credit limit on all of them, it's going to be very hard to get another credit card. Um, and you're going to start get, you may start getting turned down for other types of loans because it looks like you're overutilizing your available credit and you may not have the resources to ultimately pay that back. So that's going to start raising red flags. So those are the main pieces of information that they're looking at when they're calculating your credit score. How much of an impact each of those things has is going to vary from formula to formula, you know, based on, you know, who's issuing the credit score and, and who's calculating it and why they're calculating it. So, so given that, that gives us a lot of information about some things that we should do. So let's talk about some of those things that we should do. For example, if you have um, a one credit card and you're using up almost the total 900, you're better off having three credit cards and using under 30% of each one during the month and paying it all off, right? Exactly. Um, Whatever possible, I mean, if you can maintain a zero balance on your credit cards, that's excellent. And if you can show a long history of doing that, that's even better. Um, No matter what, you always want to pay your bills on time, especially your mortgage. If you are late even on one mortgage payment within a 12-month period and you go to refinance, you could have otherwise perfect credit. But if you were even a few days late on making one mortgage payment in the last 12 months, you're 90% of the time you're just going to be denied for that approval for the refinancing because it looks like you're not a steady payer. Um, and the mortgage companies, because of the economy, are getting very, very strict about this. The same is true to a lesser extent with car loans. If you've been late on a couple car loan payments, um, and then you go to you know get a new car and you need to get another car loan, um, they're going to look at you very carefully, and you may not be approved. So it's essential that you pay your bills on time, um, and don't rely on grace periods or you know or you know 
hopefully, you know, dropping it in the mail on the date it's due, you know, because of the postmark. Um, you know, make an effort to, you know, make make sure the company, whether it's a creditor or a lender, credit card company, whatever, that they actually have their money on time when it's due. Um, or and that's why it's a good idea to pay from your bank, online banking. Yes. So and that even if you, you do it, with online banking, make sure that it's going to be paid immediately because some online banking systems will, you know, it'll take two or three days to process. Right. So you need to know when it's going to get there. If you, if in, for example, I always pay. Like if I know it's going to take two days to get there, normally most big credit card companies, the electronic payment is made within one day. Okay, that's that's at least from Bank of America to Citibank or Bank of America to Chase. I know what that is. So I always make sure that I pay online to pay the at least the day before, possibly two days, and I've never, ever been late. But that's a good way to do it because you can print off right from your computer when it's going to get paid. They tell you right then and there. So that's really an important thing. And I think what Jason is saying is you want to pay your mortgage on time. You want to pay the the big loans on time. Now, if you don't pay your gas bill on time, they may turn off the gas. But guess what? Utilities don't appear on your credit report until they go to collections. Exactly. Doctor bills. Your your cell phone bill. Yes, and and your um, doctor bills. bills. Your doctor, your dentist, all those bills, your lawyer, unfortunately. None of those appear on your credit report until they are sold to collections and they cannot be collected. So be smart. Do what Jason says. Pay your pay your mortgage. I just have to tell you something interesting, what's happening with some of my clients who are, their houses have been upside down and they want to refinance. And this is what they're being told. And this is, I think it's kind of adverse to what you're saying. And I, I don't agree with it, but this is what they're telling them. I have a couple, an adorable couple right now, and uh, they want to refinance, and they said, well, no, you've been paying. You can't refinance. So they were told that if they didn't pay for four months, the, the, uh, the creditor, the lender, would refinance. They won't even think about refinancing until they haven't paid for four months. So this is what a lot of these mortgage brokers are telling people so that they can refinance and they don't lose their house. Is that incredible? I would I, I would definitely not follow that advice because that information that you were late four months in a row is going to show up on your credit report and stay there for seven years and that's going to, your credit score is going to take a hit and it was going to have a negative impact on all other aspects of your credit rating. Um, it's just a catch twenty two for these people. Yes, it is. I mean, their 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 credit has gone into the toilet because you know one of them was laid off of work and the, you know the whole kit and caboodle that we're seeing in this society. So they're telling you we will not we will not refinance unless we feel that we're going to get stuck paying you know uh, foreclosing on your house and then we'd rather refinance than foreclose on you. So there's a, a you put the consumers in a between a rock and a hard place. You exactly. really do. It's gotten out of hand to say the least. Um, Let me just introduce you again. We are speaking with Jason Rich, and you can learn more about him at jasonrich.com. He's the author of this new book that I just finished reading called The Complete Book of Dirty Little Secrets, Money-Saving Strategies the Credit Bureaus Won't Tell You. So, Jason, let's get back to, I'm sorry to interrupt you. What were you going to say when we were talking about it's not fair to consumers? Um, it, you know, it's not fair to consumers, and you know, basically, you know, the, right now, you know, there's there's legislation in the works, from what I understand, to control the credit card companies, for example. But um, you know, they're you know cutting people's credit limits, changing their interest rates, um, in some cases, dramatically to the point where you know, literally overnight, a consumer goes from being able to manage their credit card balances to them tripling or quadrupling, and them not being able to afford even their minimum payments. Um, you know, yeah, because- and, and that legislation has passed to help, but it's still not enough. Yeah, it, it's clearly not enough. You know, so you, you know, as a consumer, you, you you really have to be careful, and you don't want to get in over your head relying too much on credit because if something like that happens unexpectedly, where and you know, an interest rate on a credit card where you have a huge balance changes dramatically from like eight percent to you know twenty nine percent, for example, you know, you're, that can cause some serious financial problems, especially if you wind up getting laid off from work temporarily, or you have some type of illness or medical medical emergency where you're not able to work, um, you know, that you just want to have some type of cushion. Um, and, you know, a lot of people, you know, especially because times are tough, are over-utilizing their credit cards and relying on them very heavily to make their, you know, day-to-day, you know, 
meet their day-to-day expenses, and that's really a mistake. You don't want to rely on your credit cards, you know, to cover your groceries and your movie tickets and that type of stuff, unless you have a plan to pay off those debts at the end of the month and you have the money, you know, and you're just using the credit card as a convenience. Because if you're just racking up credit card bills and then you're going to maintain a balance, you know, that you're going to be paying interest on, at some point it's going to get out of control. And you're going to be paying forever that interest if you don't pay it off. So yes. yeah, if you actually do the math, you're going to be paying, you know, for the same, you know, item, whatever it is, hundred, you know, hundred, many, many times over. So, you know, that, you know, $50 dinner, ultimately with all the interest and other charges, you know, could wind up costing you hundreds of dollars over many years of, you know, sitting on your credit card statement. So let's go back and give some real good hints about what to do to improve your credit score. Obviously, we know pay off your bills. Yep. You know, that's um, we, great. We talked about keeping your credit limits as low as possible, preferably under 35% of the available credit limit. Um, another thing is, it, um, you want to, we talked about keep unused accounts open, um, but just use them periodically, pay them off immediately, you know, and then just throw them back in the draw um, to keep them open, to keep the relationship positive. Um, but don't close unused accounts. Also, when you if you don't apply for credit unless you need it, um, you know if you get all these offers in the mail, you know you've been pre-approved. Just sign here, unless you absolutely need that credit card. Um, you don't just randomly apply for it. If you're going to a department store or a consumer electronics store to buy a new washer or dryer. Um, don't get caught up in their their sales hype. Where if you apply for the you know the store's credit card, they'll give you you know X Y Z and you know whatever. If you don't absolutely need that store credit card, don't apply for it. Um, you're you know because you're better off keeping the accounts you have and don't not not having just lots of random accounts that you're not using or using for, you know for a small amount. And if you forget about it, you forget one payment, it can screw up your whole credit you know credit rating. The one thing that I, I do tell people, though, you know, since I do a lot of divorce mediation, when people are going through a dissolution, they often have joint credit cards. And maybe the wife or the husband was the authorized user. It's so important before you get a divorce to have your own credit. So that's when I tell people, look, see if you can call the credit card company in which you were a joint holder and say, you know what, I want to get a credit card to establish credit in my own name. Don't tell them you're going to go through a divorce because, of course, they're going to be worried about that. How are you going to make it? But not to lie, but just say I need to establish credit in my own name. And you should have, I tell people, you need to have at least three credit cards. And and you have one that, you, you, you know, that if you do have a little business of your own, you know, that way you can segregate that. You don't have to get a business card. And I suggest you not get a business card because that business card is not protected by the Fair Credit Reporting Act. Only consumer cards are. So always use a regular consumer card. Another one, if God forbid you, you know, need something in a hurry, you know, like a doctor bill or you were, you know, your car drop, uh, dropped <laughs> on the freeway or something and you need to get a, a rental car or something like that and then have an extra one in case there's fraud on any of the other cards. So at least three credit cards and a couple more if you need them and then always keep it under that 35% of what you use each month like Jason was saying that's that's real helpful, especially if you're going through a divorce. Get those cards. Yeah, that was actually my next point is bringing up the divorce. One of the biggest mistakes consumers make is when they you know decide to get separated or decide to get a divorce, they had joint accounts, and you know the judge in the divorce decree may say you know the husband is ex- responsible for the credit card bills, so you know the former wife just says fine, you know the husband will pay it, you know, and they don't bother to change you know the status of the credit card. That's a mistake. As soon as you get divorced or know you're going to get divorced, separate all of the joint accounts and have one party's name taken off of it. Because no matter what the judge says in terms of who's responsible, right. as far as the credit companies are concerned, if your husband is late on the paying the bills he's responsible for, both parties that are named on that credit card account are there. Both of their scores are going to get hit. So if you know if your husband defaults on the card, um, or you know. It's going to affect your credit score because it's still going to be on your credit report. Yeah. So I tell Um, people that's a huge problem, and that's one of the biggest reasons why you know people wind up with you know huge hits to their credit rating is because you know they didn't follow the right procedure when they got separated and or divorced. Right. Get your own card in your name. You know, often if you've had a good payment at joint cards, they will give you a new card without much of a, a hassle. 
once you each get new cards, both the husband and the wife, then you can cancel that joint account as soon as it's paid off. And that's the best way to do it is to actually, because a lot of times they won't even take the other person's name off, especially if there's money owed. They're saying, no, you already had a contract with us. So pay off that bill, get new cards, and then you have your own credit moving forward. And also as a protection, you know, if you do have that joint account that your ex-husband or ex-wife is responsible for, Stay on top of them and, you know, and check the, your credit report regularly to make sure those bills are being paid on time. Right. And have a, a stipulation as part of your marital settlement agreement or have the court state in the court documents, because they don't always do it, that this person is responsible, you know, wife is responsible for these and husband is responsible for these, and they will indemnify each other. They'll hold each other harmless and indemnify each other for any payments that the other person made. So that you've got, let's say I end up with, you're my husband and I end up with all this stuff on my credit report and you haven't paid that in the event that we haven't paid it off before we actually dissolve the marriage, then I get indemnification from you. And I held that as a judgment against you until you pay me back. So that's, you know, that's the worst way to do it, but it's better than doing nothing because otherwise you are going to be responsible for that debt. We're speaking with Jason Rich, who is the author of the complete book of Dirty Little Secrets, Money Strategies, The Credit Bureaus Won't Tell You. His website is Jason, J-A-S-O-N, rich.com. Jason, let's talk a little bit about um, many of us use credit cards and they can be a blessing. So we, we talked a little bit about some of the burdens. Let's talk about some of the real benefits of using a credit card. Um, well, obviously, you know, there's a convenience factor. You, do, you know, a lot of places won't accept checks anymore, and you don't want to carry, you know, a pocket full of, you know, cash on a regular basis in case you get mugged, especially if you're traveling. You know, so credit cards can be very convenient, um, and, you know, and that's great. And, you know, if you have the resources to pay them off right away, take advantage of them. But at the same time, you want to be a very wise credit card consumer. The first thing you need to do when you apply for a credit card, or even if you already have a credit card, I bet you failed to do this, is get a hold of the cardholder agreement, the current one that's in effect right now, and read it. That's that little booklet that you know is, has all the tiny little type that explains all of the rules and regulations of that card. Um, if you follow all of those regulations, your chances are you're in good shape. If you violate any of them, the credit card company has you know the right to impose all of these extra fees. Um, you know that can get very expensive, and they could also change your um, interest rate, and it can go much higher to the default rate, which could be in you know thirty percent or higher. You know, so you really have to understand the terms of each credit card. And it's important to understand that even if you have, like, three credit cards from Chase Bank, for example, each one of those credit cards is going to have a different cardholder agreement and different rules and regulations associated with it. So just because you think you understand one card, don't assume that the other two accounts, even though the card may look the same, you know, has the same rules, regulations, fees, interest rates, and all that stuff associated, because chances are it could be very different. And the other thing is, is that they can change these rules on you, and they'll yes. send you a letter. But yes. I want to talk about one other benefit, and that is, again, coming from my fraud training and my expertise as an attorney. When you, when we tell people to be very careful about using credit cards and, and the, the you know burdens of it and the worries of it, it's more dangerous to use your debit card because if you're using your debit card that and you're somehow going over your limit because you go to the you know you're you're using it as a credit card but it's really a debit card and the money is siphoned out of your account you don't have the same protections for fraud as you do with a credit card exactly. so in other words the money is siphoned immediately out and also i my daughter doesn't even use her she's in college here at the University of California Irvine she's a senior and she was using her debit card, and, and she would go to the ATM machine and think, oh, I've it says available balance. I've got $10 in here. And then she goes to buy a $4 uh, coffee, and she gets charged $35. Okay? Yep. So there is a, some danger in that way. And also, I get literally hundreds of victims of identity theft who didn't realize that that debit card number can be used online without a pin or by phone or by fax without a pin to buy things and the money's siphoned out of the account and they have to beg for it to come back. 
With a credit card, you are absolutely protected by the Fair Credit Billing Act, which means that if there is any fraud on your credit card, you're not going to be held responsible. You'll look at the bill. You'll dispute it within 60 days. You're not going to be held responsible. You may have to fill out an affidavit, but it is very much um, a an easier problem to deal with credit card fraud than it is with debit card fraud. So I just wanted to bring that up because I use credit cards, but I pay them off on time. So there are those benefits as well. Another you know thing that's related to what you just said is um, if you travel a lot and you try and use a debit card at a hotel or to rent a car, um, not, um, they're going to put a hold, an immediate hold on your debit card of several hundred dollars. Usually if it's a rental car, at least twice the value of the rental, sometimes up to four or five hundred dollars. Right. And a hotel will typically hold three to four hundred dollars. And that's money that's going to be taken out of your account and put in this holding pattern for up to 10 days after you return the rental car. So you or, don't have that money to pay your bills. Out of the hotel. Right. Um, so for, I've seen people, and I've talked to people who went on vacation thinking they had all this money in their account. They rented a car and had, you know, a $500 hold put on, you know, their, their account, which means $500 just magically temporarily disappeared. Then they checked into the hotel and had another 300 taken away. And that was the money they were planning on spending on food and souvenirs and all that stuff. So by the time they checked into their hotel and had their rental car, their account was empty. Um, you know, they got their money back, you know, seven to 10 days later, but while they were on vacation, you know, that money was in, on hold and they couldn't spend it. And what about if they had bills that they had scheduled to pay out of their pay by, you know, uh, you know, their online banking or they wrote checks that's going to bounce. So yes. it's very dangerous. I, again, I, I strongly urge people, if you're going to be savvy about your, your credit cards and pay your credit cards and do what Jason and I are talking about, you're going to be far better off in terms of your payment and not worrying about fraud or these kinds of problems where they're going to charge you because the banks are making a fortune on these bank fees which, you know, the credit cards do the same thing, but at least with credit cards, you have 30 days to pay or 25 days to pay or whatever it is. You have some time to pay, just allocate it. And in terms of credit cards, um, as a consumer, you have the ability to shop around for the best credit card deals. And there are various websites you can go to that actually review credit cards and talk about, you know, and compare and contrast fees and services offered by the card. You know, so you, just because your local bank offers you a credit card doesn't mean you have to accept it. You may be able to find a credit card that has, a, you know, zero annual fee, um, that has a much lower interest rate, or that has, a, you know, a better grace period or better overall terms and, re- you know, rules and regulations, um, or that offers really good benefits and perks like cash back or bonus miles for frequent flyer miles, that type of stuff. So, you know, you really want to shop around as a consumer for the best deals for you in terms of, you know, the best credit cards. And there are many, Hello? Off- there are many, many different offers out there. Right. And I think you're right. Just go online and, and compare those. Jason, we don't have a lot of time. We have a couple minutes. I just want to, there's so many things I wanted to share with you and ask you about, but let's kind of do an overview because we here we are sitting on the campus of the University of California and we want our students, we want our people who are business people driving by and those and who might be listening online, what are some things that we can teach ourselves and our college students about how to save money and become financially responsible? If we could kind of just give a little bit of an overview in about a minute and a half, that would be great. <laughs> okay. I mean, the most important thing you can do is understand how this process works. Um, you know, learn about, you know, look at, get a copy of your credit report and study it. It takes about 10, 15 minutes. Um, you know, and you, and you like every six months or every year, get in the habit of pulling your credit, your own credit report, reviewing it, paying for your credit score, understanding what that credit score means and how it impacts your financial well-being. And, you know, take efforts to control, protect your spending and your, you know, your credit habits and how you manage your own credit. Because as a consumer, it turns out it's your responsibility, not just to be a responsible consumer, but to understand how this process works and use it to your benefit, or else you're going to wind up in serious trouble just by, you know, 
misunderstanding how your credit card works, which is extremely common. People don't understand that if they pay their credit card bill, even you know two days late, they're going to be hit with a late fee, um, you know, which could screw up their financing for that month. You know, their finances. If um, you know they go over their credit limit on a credit card, um, not only is that going to impact their credit score, but they're also going to be hit with another fee. If they do that two or three times in a, in a, in a specific time period, which varies by credit card, their interest rate is going to go go through the roof, um, and they may not be able to afford that credit card. Um, you know, be responsible. If you're going to use a credit card, have a plan in place in advance to figure out how you're going to pay that back. Don't just figure, oh, I'll pay it off in the future. You know, this is free money. You know, I'm going to go buy a big screen TV or a new wardrobe because something's on sale. Um, if you're going to put something on a credit card before you, you know, swipe that card, know in your mind exactly how and when you're going to pay it back. And if you know you're going to be carrying that balance for a long time, you know, to crunch the numbers and figure out, you know, how much is this really going to cost you? And is it, you know, in terms of the extra fees and the interest charges and all that stuff, right. and figure out if it's really worthwhile to you to buy that, you know, whatever it is you're buying. Right. And we're going to tell people to take a look at the complete book of Dirty Little Secrets, Money Saving Strategies, the bu- credit bureaus won't tell you. Jason, we thank you so much. We'll have to have you back again. I would love to. I appreciate you having me. Yep. And we'll send everybody to look at jasonrich.com. Thank you. Have a good day. You too. Okay. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM and Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank, host of Privacy Piracy. Join us every week. Also visit us at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. Thank you. Bye. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.